Welcome to Walking in Faith with Bishop Daly. I'm Bishop Tom Daly, the seventh bishop of the Diocese of Spokane here in Eastern Washington State. And joining with me is uh, one of our Sisters of Mary Mother Church, Sister Mary Eucharista, who is known in many circles of our diocese, her work um, as a staff member of the Retreat House, which uh, Sister will talk a little bit more later in the program. Uh, but Sister also, uh, just her smiling face and her sense of joy, as we say, radiating the glory of the resurrection is known far and wide here in Eastern Washington. So Sister, welcome. Thank you very much, Bishop. I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Tell us to, a, you know, for our listening audience, um, a little bit about um, where you were raised and uh, briefly your vocation story and then the time at the Mount and then now here in the Diocese of uh, Spokane. Well, I was born and raised in Southern California below. It was the palm tree area, Bishop, I'm sorry to say. Yeah, and, uh, yeah I know. I know. Well, guess what? It's, uh, it's just a fact. And uh, it was nice and warm and sunny and we were near the ocean and it was just great. And then at a certain point, my parents grew very concerned about uh, all of us uh, being raised in an environment that uh, had a lot of, well, let's just say some risks um, being where we were, and also some concerns that they had uh, about uh, some changes that had been happening in the church that they didn't understand. They had asked questions and never really got answers that helped them. Um, but as it turned out, they joined a little group up in northern Idaho, which was the uh, incipiency of what became Mount St. Michael's. Uh, it had sisters with habits, it had the Latin mass, and it had the Baltimore catechism, and they were pretty happy with it. So um, in a more, um, they were pretty well educated. So it was in the, uh, both in the faith, and also they both had master's degrees. So they were, my dad was a nuclear engineer, but he was following closely a lot of the things that were being considered to be modernist changes in the church. And so his, uh, uh, his, his most, probably his most, um, important um, uh, decision came about 1969 when he decided to uh, join my mother uh, and our family in, um, in, in, in moving to Idaho. So Idaho was our new home. It not only had a complete um, change of our background and our, our, our history there uh, from California, but we also experienced cold weather and um, Latin mass, and it was pretty uh, sh a culture shock. There was nothing like Southern California uh, as we had known it. And, um, but we did have our Baltimore Catechism, we did have our Latin mass, and we did have um, the nuns and habits. Uh, as it turned out, I followed my vocation. Um, when I was 18, I was uh, in a retreat and found out that I was... Uh, um, God was calling me to religious life and it really was a, a cost. I was uh, not prepared for the Holy Spirit to be working with me, but when I realized that God wanted this, um, I made a decision. Um, actually, it was the priest who said, uh, when you, I said, how do you know? How do you know if you have a religious vocation? And he said, well, the way I figured it out was this. Um, I opened scripture and I read the part about the apostles asking our Lord, you know, about marriage. And when Christ said to them, not all are called to this, but for those who are called, he who can take it, let him take it. And I believe it was from Matthew. And he said, that's how I knew God was calling me. And I said, oh, so are you saying, because before I went in for this conference, um, 
I was pretty open to whatever God would want, but I kind of knew I did not want to be a nun. That is like the last thing I wanted. And when he said, um, uh, that's how I knew, I said, you mean, are you saying that if uh, God gave me like a little tug in my heart and he said, you know, and then I read this and it's like, okay, so I could, I can always live those vows. I mean, chastity, poverty, obedience, I can do that. Um, that I should. And he said, yes. And I tell you that might've not worked for everyone, but for some reason in my heart, it really did work for me. And I realized, okay, whatever it costs, I guess God's calling me and I'm going to go ahead and pick up the cross and go forward. But I couldn't do it yet. I did it in uh, three years when I was 21. I thought, well, I'm an adult. I really know what I'm doing. And um, so I did. And I never turned back uh, when I finally, uh, well, I, I, I had the assignment of teaching high school for, um, uh, for a while. And uh, as it, uh, you know, I, I, I had to kind of explain things to the kids and I knew what their challenges would be. And as I worked on understanding theology and, uh, you know, working with that with the kids and listening to their conversations with me and understanding that, wow, this is hard for them. Um, but yet it also made me think more as a result and in getting an education and um, teaching, I was able to actually start uh, that the transformation from, you know, am I here really in a place that is just with the Baltimore Catechism, the nuns and habits and the Latin mass, or am I truly separated from the church? And as I looked deeper and got into many, many conversations with other priests and uh, even the priests of my own community, um, you know, it was not a good topic to bring up over there uh, because of the high level of resistance. But uh, eventually through the help of Father Spitzer, um, I almost left in, nine, in 2006 and became just a Catholic because I thought that precedes my vocation as a, as a sister. And then when Father Spitzer said, you know, you can stay and uh, you can, um, you know, follow what the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost, as you were calling him, same being, but um, you, you can stay and not lose your mission. Why would you, the God, God wouldn't call you to this mission and not not let you, you know, follow through. So I, 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 I realized, okay, well, I don't want to leave the religious life. So I stayed another year and God called us all out together in a group of 15 sisters. And we founded the Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Church with the help of Father Connell, uh, Father Spitzer and Father Daniel Barnett, um, who all came to our rescue. And Bishop Skillstad was very prominent in that role. We were, um, as you know, well, in, welcomed with open arms by the diocese. And we were truly uh, gifted to be able to understand God's role in our lives. Since that, that time, uh, we've broken up into four different groups. And, but the main group is still here in the diocese and uh, receiving younger sisters. Um, as it happened, we were asked within a year to uh, rewrite and and have our constitution so that we would become a public association of the faithful and so we were approved by bishop skillstad in that role and um we kind of branched out we were asking god what is our new work um up to that point we had 
uh, understood our work as working with education, working with periodicals, and uh, we also had the singing nuns. So we tried some singing, and of course, um, we were a good portion of the original singing nuns, but we left that ministry at Mount St. Michael's, and we ourselves um, found that a lot of us were being pulled into faith formation in schools and parishes, which, um, you know, in the form mostly of D, uh, DREs. And then I was asked to take on the role of um, retreat programs manager, which I then uh, proceeded to do. That was over 12 years ago. And um, also we had work as pastoral ministry within hospitals and elder homes in the area. So it was really, um, these were the three areas that God had uh, kind of outlined for us during our time of working with the constitution. So it was quite an amazing and happy uh, response that we received from the people of God and the works that we're doing are all the works that we felt drawn to in the beginning anyway. So it was a blessing. Sister, what, what the, uh, the other sisters who maybe, as you said, uh, went off into four different directions. I know there's a group in Santa Rosa. That's right. Uh, the Mar the Marian Sisters. Name? The, the Marian Sisters. Sisters of Santa Rosa. And they are uh, they were the uh, sister Marie de Lourdes and mother Teresa Criste. Um, and they were uh, called to... Uh, more of an observance with the Latin mass. And so they're doing works that are similar uh, to our works. There's also the sisters of our mother divine grace who are in um, it's uh, Northern, it's like Saginaw. Um, it's up in the North part of Michigan. And then there's also um, sister Francis Marie with uh, this, the daughters of Mary mother of priests. And uh, there's, I think there might be one more and I'm trying to think of what it is and I can't recall. I think Sister Bernadette, yeah. Oh yes, yes, Sister Bernadette, and she is a consecrated virgin and um, has started her own um, group, which may become a group or may just remain single. Yeah, in the history of the church you find, I, I, I was uh, preaching um, a mass for the Sisters of St. Joseph Carondelet who were leaving uh, Pasco, uh, Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital. And uh, in, in one of the books that Sister Mary Williams, who's now down in, the Mount, the Mount St. Mary's in, the, in the Los Angeles. It was an interesting story about how the sisters, I think came from Illinois and they went to Idaho. And um, there were some young nurses that uh, were talked into coming out West and, but to get the cheap uh, ticket for the, for the train, they were told to wear a habit. And uh, it's all in the history of it. And they, they come out West and they get in there, but, uh, they recognized them at the bar smoking cigarettes or something, of course, not in their habit. And then it became kind of a bit of a scandal. Uh, but it's one of those checkered pasts that um, they done, the sisters have done tremendous work. But in the history of the Sisters of St. Joseph coming, there are a few characters in the mix. Uh, <laughs> but not, uh, certainly not um, to overshadow by any means the great work the sisters uh, continue to do, mainly through prayer. I know the sisters are at Lewiston at the hospital there and no longer in Pasco, but when I, uh, I remember they had a going away for the sisters in, in, uh, in Pasco and about 14 or 15 sisters of St. Joseph came up and what was interesting, nine of them were San Franciscans and uh, they just had a, a great various ministries. But um, as you sister, you always have this great sense of humor and I think that is needed uh, in today's church. 
with the oh, casting of characters. Uh, they're not just in religious life. The, the, mm -hmm. the hierarchy of the church and the clergy certainly could be uh, in that category. Sure, um, sure. In your work, um, and then we're going to take a, a, a brief break. Um, so as you said, there's a variety of ministries, uh, but mainly a focus, uh, catechetics, which I know that a number of several of the sisters still do. When I go to confirmations, I see the sisters at Sacred Heart and um, All Saints I, I, uh, or at um, St. Peter's and the cathedral. And of course, your work at the retreat. So when we get back after the break, I'd like you to talk how uh, you entered into the retreat ministry, your, your role as program director. And in this year of the Eucharist, which we're continuing, even though we are in COVID restrictions, um, your kind of reflections on, on that great uh, gift of the church, to the church by Jesus himself, the Eucharist, and especially to our local church in the year of the Eucharist. We're gonna take a break and we'll come back and we're talking to Sister uh, Mary Eucharist. Welcome back. It's uh, Bishop Daly from the Diocese of Spokane, and our radio program is Walking in Faith. And joining me uh, in the first half, and also continuing the second half, is Sister Mary Eucharista, a Sister Mary Mother of the Church. Uh, Sister, you are the program director at the uh, Immaculate Heart Retreat Center, or you advise on that? Um, I am the retreat, the uh, program's uh, manager, which is, uh, it just, uh, or Deacon John is the, um, you are the bishop, Deacon John is the director, I'm just the humble program manager. <laughs> so tell us about uh, <laughs> some of the, some of your, um, before I'm going to ask you to speak about, since it is the year of the Eucharist, some reflection of the Eucharist, but in your time, how long have you been working at the retreat house in this capacity? Uh, Twelve and a half years, Bishop. And what are some of the striking retreats that you either uh, you yourself attended, experienced, worked with someone, uh, any retreat directors that stand out? Um, because retreat ministry is so essential, as Deacon John and I talk about. Jesus himself had to spend time in a lonely, quiet place, and, and uh, the retreat house is a beautiful setting, um, and hopefully we'll do some remodeling. But uh, is there a retreat or one or two that stand out in your 12 years there that you uh, either, again, participated in or uh, directed or observed that you that's memorable? Oh, there are so many. It's it's uh, amazing when you look at the array of different things we've done at the retreat center. And when I first came into uh, full communion from where I was, um, I had been a high school teacher for 23 years, so I wasn't used to. Uh, what was required of me as a retreat program manager. But when I began to understand what retreat ministry is, I realized how many people uh, have their in the entire course of their lives changed through retreat. And in understanding that, mostly from Deacon John, from my own spiritual direction, and I was assigned a spiritual director back in, at that point in time as well. Um, and then since then have um, been working with... Um, St. Vincent's Seminary uh, on uh, a, a program of uh, becoming an actual certified retreat uh, or uh, spiritual director. Um, but looking back at the array of retreats that have gone on, I would say probably the one by Father Jacques Philippe mm -hmm. was the one that stands out the most uh, in the sense of 
not only was it unique in that it pulled in uh, the maximum amount of people that could be held at the retreat center, the only one who had come close to that before was Father Mitch Pacwa, but um, the, uh, the kind of grace that surrounded everyone during that retreat, what he does is he, um, he gives his retreat um, and it's inter- or he, 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 he speaks in French and then he has a sister of his community interpret and the uh, kind of uh, synchronicity that occurs during that time brings something into the hearts of the people with the Holy Spirit just descends on one, I think. I was there listening and just felt the intensity of the grace. Uh, Father himself was so calm, so gentle. We had him on a mic, we had sister on a mic and the people were spellbound. It was a time of deep reflection, but every retreat is a time of encounter with Jesus. And that's the part that I think most people don't understand. It is um, not an actual sacrament, although the sacraments are offered during the time of retreat. But as you know, and as you've experienced yourself, retreat ministry is that great encounter that occurs uniquely with every soul. Even non-Catholics experience something that happens there um, that is a transformative effect from a deep grace that occurs in that silence, in that place of desert quiet. And in that, in following Christ's injunction, come away to a desert place. And he ministers personally to us. As it turns out with retreat ministry at Immaculate Heart, we also minister in a very, um, in a spiritual way in the sense that we um, provide the sacraments and we also feed everybody. And of course now during COVID, it's such a hardship to try to get a good accommodation and social distancing and be able to, uh, you know, feed everybody with all of the COVID requirements. But um, right now, because we have a quarantine um, facility there, instead, we're still being able to support our ministry, but then work either virtually or through um, the, the ministry that we can offer through mornings of prayer in various parishes. Um, right now we do have virtual offerings as well. Um, what we've done is made connections with other retreat centers who have virtual retreats and people can sign up for anyone uh, from the, uh, we had Father Jacques Philippe on last week and then we had, um, and he was live from France through the uh, Alhambra Retreat Center. Uh, we also have had uh, various other um, retreat uh, leaders talking to us from um, Los Altos, or um, there's also a couple of other places that we're trying to kind of link up with. Anyway, there's we just want to offer something so that the people are fed uh, virtually, but then also offer these various other things um, that occur, uh, you know, monthly in their various parishes as mornings of prayer, explicating your, uh, or reflecting upon the, the uh, pastoral letter. Sister, in your era, so um, again, uh, our listening audience may not be aware, especially those who aren't in the Eastern Washington, that because of restrictions, the retreat center uh, temporarily was closed to outside uh, individuals. And it was providential that we were asked to house um, COVID uh, patients, um, and that has been uh, fortunately uh, providing financial uh, assistance during a time when the retreat house wouldn't be having anybody come in. Um, But in the midst of it, of course, um, in this year of the Eucharist, which uh, I declared uh, as the 
for our diocese on the Feast of Corpus Christi in 20, and we'll conclude the Feast of Corpus Christi in 2021. Uh, we have hopefully been given our people opportunities for um, appreciation, prayer, reflection, uh, teaching on the Eucharist. Uh, I know that you've given um, some reflections on the Eucharist. And so for those who are not able to, to make a retreat either virtually or someday in person, uh, what might some of your thing, points of reflection you would offer our listening audience uh, on the Eucharist as, as you have uh, been blessed to, to receive uh, the body, blood, soul, and dignity of Jesus Christ uh, now that you're, you've been in full communion with the church? So just, just um, some thoughts on, on the Eucharist and, and reflections you might be giving if you were uh, doing a little day of prayer. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, actually, um, I've always had a deep uh, reverence and uh, uh, Christ himself. I mean, I, I can't presume upon having um, deserved my name, Sister Mary Eucharista, but when I did uh, put it down as one of my choices, it wasn't my first choice initially. And then uh, through a retreat, it was a religious retreat, I, I, I realized, oh my goodness, I think this is a name that I could truly carry that dedication uh, and an understanding of the church and that spirit of thanksgiving to others with a name like Eucharista. So in putting it down, I just thought, well, Lord, if you want, it, want me to have it, you'll give it to me. And sure enough, he did. And, you know, the, the, the joy, I think, of giving a day of prayer or a morning of prayer on your beautiful pastoral letter that I think could be used at any point, not just during the year of the Eucharist, but um, especially now, uh, we, can, we can look at the Eucharist as um, the extension of the Mass. And of course, the Eucharist in its essence is at the center of the Mass. And uh, this is the wedding bed, if you will, of the Holy Trinity. And what I would probably emphasize during the morning prayer is uh, some of the points that I remember having, um, I would say, life-changing um, expansion in my own understanding of the Mass through the work, what happens at Mass. I, I do offer a lot of resources to people, and um, it was Abbot Jeremy Driscoll's uh, book, What Happens at Mass, that really um, kind of uh, gave me a, a, a much larger, in fact, the whole sisters community, we did a book club about it. And in uh, taking various parts of that, we realized we could actually put on a retreat about this. So we got in touch with uh, then Father Jeremy Driscoll and said, how would you feel if we did a retreat on your book? He said, oh, that'd be great. He said, just make sure that um, that title is has to remain with the book. And so we just used his book and, and did that. And with his blessing and his uh, uh, his he, he, he really uh, was enjoying the fact that we were doing it. Um, but he, uh, he is able to explain these things in such a simple way, this idea of processing in the liturgy of the word, breaking the bread of the word, and then going and, and actually the anamnesis taking place, the actual being present at that moment when those words are coming across to us, um, Christ himself is uh, showing us this, this incredible uh, opening of the word. And then we ourselves um, processing forth again after the homily and, and the creed perhaps, um, then 
being able to uh, come forward with ourselves, the uh, bread and the wine, which is then offered to God and then at the consecration lifted up. And through the power of Calvary and the Last Supper, we are, uh, this is that moment when we ourselves are transformed into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. And then we come up again to receive what used to be us. And then we are now receiving him and going into the world with a great commission to, um, uh, to teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So especially with our sisters community, we're so grateful to have that opportunity in this diocese to uh, be able to evangelize joyfully, which is part of our charism and uh, coming out of our communal charity, which um, we uh, you know, need to have in order to have that joyful evangelization going on. But that nuptial blessing of the mass is something that I think a lot of people don't realize is going on. This, it's, you know, most Catholics realize this is, this is huge. The mass is, is huge and we'll never fully understand it. And we can only get these little nuggets, but I really recommend that they read that. Um, but especially in the idea of um, Advent to understand that uh, this is the Eucharist uh, who we are, uh, when we are visiting the Eucharist, like being up at St. Thomas More, particularly, they have the 24 hour, um, typically not during COVID, but I know that they have the adoration going on. And, um, you know, just to gaze at the Eucharist and know that there is that historical mystery of Advent, uh, bringing Christ to us and it's coming, we are waiting. And then of course, Christ at the end of time and then Christ coming to us at Holy Communion and each uh, each person that we meet during the day is another coming of Christ where someone coming toward us coming someone uh, in the path of our, our cars asking God's blessing on every person who is in our in our wake or coming towards us and um, to welcome our neighbor in the same way that we would welcome Christ and maybe to have discussion at the end of, of the day who who did you welcome today in the, in, as Christ in your life? Um, so these may, may be some reflections, but of course, those uh, joyful expectation Advent practices that we have with the Advent wreath, Advent calendar, Jesse tree, uh, silence, Lexio Divina, spiritual communion, maybe taking uh, COVID-19 uh, negativity or political things that get us down and changing those, transforming those into... Um, you know, the joy of the gospel, the joy of just a, a joyful spiritual communion. You know, when you feel your heart kind of sink about something and rather than calling up someone and complaining or just saying, ah, oh, look at what's going on, just to let that be that moment of joyful communion. Jesus, come to me, fill my heart with your joy and never let there be a vacuum there. But what every time we expel that negative thinking to bring Christ in and to let him be born again, not only in our hearts, but in the hearts of all those who love us or, or who are in connecting with us or who don't love us. <laughs> but then of course we have a time of waiting, even in our cars, we can, you know, we're waiting. And this is something that Advent is calling us to it's Jesus is coming and who are we waiting for and in those moments of waiting whether it be in social distancing in um, a parking lot or in a um, in a store or in a, um, a lineup somewhere uh, or in front of a stoplight this is where we can call upon the graces of Advent and 
uh, have a warm place for Christ to be born on in our hearts on Christmas Day. Thank you. We're out of time. And um, I do appreciate uh, your um, uh, reflections and also your uh, great devotion to serving Christ and, and that ministry of retreat, even during this time of, of COVID. Sister, thank you so much. And for our listening audience, uh, the Retreat Center, Immaculate Heart, uh, maintains, uh, of course, a website. And God willing, we will be out of this COVID and back. We're in person. You can experience the graces that come from being alone with Christ. God bless you, sister. And thank you, Bishop. Thanks. Walking in Faith with Bishop Daniel is a production of the Catholic Diocese of Spokane. Walking in Faith is produced and edited by Mitchell Blomquist. It can be heard on Sacred Heart Radio, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcasting apps.